What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now the truth. Hey, Slider Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so excited for today's special. It is about Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Eric Taunus is here. He's an amazing professor. He's the chair of theology at Biola College here in California. And uh, we have an awesome guest to talk about the historical proof. He's an archaeologist, a field archaeologist, to talk about the historical proof, not only of the life of Jesus, but of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, because nothing matters more than the resurrection. So prove it. Can't wait for him coming up in just a little bit. I've been thinking about who this special is for exactly. Uh, and I'm grateful you're here, no matter who you are or where you're coming from. But I grew up a Christer. We went to church on Christmas and Easter. That was it. Uh, and I, I guess Christmas, if you're going to go, like if you're going to go to church twice, I guess, like, I don't really know why you even go at all, but if you're going to go to church twice, I guess those are the two days to go. But I would think Christmas would make more sense from, like, that weird secular perspective. I don't even know why we went on Easter, to be honest. I think it was just to show off our pastel shirts. But every church triples in attendance on Easter, which means they're full of people like me when I was growing up, who were like, well, I guess we should go. I don't know why. I don't really know what's going on or whatever, but I guess we'll go. So who's this special for? It's for me 10 years ago. That's who I'm talking to. And maybe you're in the same place. Uh, ranging from my more militant atheist days of, this is the stupidest story I've ever read in my life, you idiot Christians, to the more agnostic, uh, you know, how can we really know kind of thing. So the hard questions I'm going to ask our guests today are the questions of a skeptic, a hard skeptic, me 10 years ago. And in that, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that if you are a Christian, this will strengthen your faith as well. So here are my two points to start us off. First point, Jesus either raised from the dead or he didn't. Jesus was killed, died, 
was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead, or he didn't. If he did, you better worship him. If he didn't, then this entire Christian faith is absolute foolishness. And, and you, perhaps, me, definitely 10 years ago, would have been like, well, of course it's foolishness. It's that the whole thing is ridiculous. And people don't rise from the dead. I've never seen anyone rise from the dead. I know, I know. I'm totally with you. Trust me, I'm totally with you. And if he didn't, then this is the, really this is the stupidest thing of all time, all of it. But if he did, well, you better get the rest of it right. You better get the whole of the Bible right if he did. So if you're not a Christian, or if you're on the fence about it all, or if you call yourself a Christer, or um, I'm culturally Christian, or, or what I used to do, uh, I'm spiritual. I hope by the end of the, which is just like your made-up thing. <laughs> I hope by the end of the special today, you have a, a conviction. And if you are a Christian, I hope by the end of the special, you're better able to answer any skeptic's questions on these issues, uh, and, and dare I say, the issue of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus. So first point, everything of the Christian faith hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. Everything. If he didn't rise from the dead, then nothing else that he said matters and nothing else in this Bible matters. Which leads to the second point, liar, lunatic, Lord. I distinctly remember in college, I was in a seminar class. I remember everything about it. There were like 12 of us. And it was about the Vietnam papers. So I don't even know how this came. It was such a stupid, ridiculous class. And uh, none, no one there believed in God or even believed that Jesus existed, right? They thought Jesus was like a, like a myth, like Jesus was uh, like, the, like the tooth fairy, right? And I remember, and I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't like as militant then, but I was like, uh, who cares or what does it matter in college? And I remember, I remember I said, well, guys, like he was a real person. Like he was at least an actual walking around person. This, like, I don't know anyone who's ever, who said he, he just never existed, right? But they did, like these people around the room, Yale University thought he didn't even exist. Some totally made up figment of people's imagination entirely, which is so bizarre. Like if you believe Ulysses from the Odyssey was a real person, then you gotta believe Jesus was at least a guy. So then people will, will thread the needle a little more and they'll be like, oh, okay, fine, he was a real person. Um, he was a good moral teacher, like Buddha. But he wasn't God. That's ridiculous. You ever heard that one before? Or thought that one before? As I have thought that before. That Jesus is a good moral teacher. He's someone you, you should read and like, uh, you know, love your neighbor, right? Yeah, okay, good one, Jesus. Like, I like that. It's a good little, little tidbit of information you give me, right? A little bit of maybe the wisdom you could pick up here and there. He's in the same category as, uh, as Marcus Aurelius or Sun Tzu or Jordan Peterson. You just sort of pick a little bit of this, pick a little bit of that, and here's a smart guy, Jesus. Here's the problem with that. This so-called great moral teacher guy also said, I am God. Jordan Peterson doesn't say, I'm God, right? And if someone said, I'm God, you, they're, they're, they're crazy. And that's where C.S. Lewis, he, he's not the first person that came up with this formulation. Someone did about 200 years prior, but he's the first person to come up with the, with the alliteration 
of liar, lunatic, Lord. So C.S. Lewis says that, well, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. So he's either a liar, where he says he was God, but he wasn't. He's a lunatic, where he thought he was God, but wasn't. Or he is who he says he is, God. Here's how C.S. Lewis uh, put it. He said, uh, I'm here trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg or else would be of the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Okay, very good. So, I want proof then, Slater. Show me the proof. I want proof. Well, when he was alive, walking around, people asked the same thing that we would if we were there and we are right now. Prove it. Right? You say you're God? Go ahead. Prove it. And he did. He did. Read the Gospels. It's full of stories of him proving it. Now you want to talk about the validity of Scripture and who wrote the Scriptures and their biases and all that. That's great. It's a wonderful study. Also, coming back from the dead, that's a pretty big proof <laughs> that you need them to make. Right? I'd like to see David Blaine try that. Staying underwater for 17 minutes, that's pretty cool, but now die for three days and then resurrect and be, be seen by hundreds of people. I just think of poor Thomas. Thomas was a great disciple of Jesus, but he's forever known as Doubting Thomas because he did the same thing that you or I would have done if we were in his shoes, right? Jesus comes back. He goes to his disciples. Thomas isn't there. He's out like running errands or something. We don't know. And then Thomas comes back and they're like, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> Thomas, Jesus is alive. He came back. We saw him. It was crazy. And Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, the hole in his hand, and, and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. And that's exactly what we would have said. Now, one thing that's always fascinating about the Bible, and to keep in mind when you're reading it, is the, the uh, elapsing of time, right? So something may be in the very next sentence, but a long time elapsed. They'll be like, oh, and then they went here. And it's like, well, that took a month, right? But it's just the next sentence. And the same thing here. The very next line after that is eight days later, right? So like, what happened during those eight days? I don't know. What was Thomas thinking during those eight days? But eight days later, they were all together and... Jesus appeared. The door was locked, and Thomas was there, and Jesus appeared. And the scriptures say, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, because you can imagine they were freaked out. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. That's you. That's you. Jesus was talking about you. 
you who have not seen but still believe. We'll talk about this more a little later in the, the final segment, but I love how the disciples didn't even believe he resurrected. Right? That's crazy. You'd think they'd be the ones who would believe it first and the most and never forget and be all about it. But even they, like Mary Magdalene, she didn't, she showed up at the tomb three days later still expecting him to be dead. And she sees the stone, the stone rolled away and she thought someone took his body. She said, where'd they put him? She like, like raising from the dead, like Mary Magdalene, raising from the dead, wasn't even like in her contemplation. And then she saw a guy, she thought it was the gardener. <laughs> and Jesus said, Mary. So today we're gonna give some proof on today's special. We can't give all the proof. I hope it inspires you to go find more. It's all there, right? It's all, it's all out there. I love, last story, I love when uh, like atheists or skeptics like I was, uh, come up with these, these uh, questions and these challenges and these skeptical things. And maybe it comes from a good place. It usually doesn't, but sometimes it does. And, and if, they don't get, if they can't come up with the answer themselves, or if they ask one person who doesn't have the answer, then they're like, oh, it's unanswerable. This whole thing's stupid. And it's like, no, your concern is not original. This has been talked about for thousands of years, and there are people out there with answers. The answers are there if you really want to go find them. Stop thinking that you're so brilliant that you came up with the one critique of Christianity that's never been thought of before that's going to make the whole thing come crumbling down in front of you. Get over yourself on that. The answers are there if you want them. And we're going to go over a bunch of them here. If you still catch yourself saying, I need a sign. Show me a sign. I need a sign today. I'm reminded of maybe my favorite story in the Bible. It's Luke 16. Uh, there was a, a homeless man, basically, Lazarus. Lazarus, And uh, he was so diseased, dogs would lick his sores. And then there was a rich man. And the, the poor man, Lazarus, uh, died and went to heaven. And the rich man went to hell. And let me quote this right here. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, right? You with me? So, so the rich man is in hell, basically. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And Abraham, over on the other side of the chasm, said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here in heaven and you are in anguish and besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. It's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And I love this. He says, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they, lest they also come into this place of torment. Right? So he's like, go, go back to real life. Go back to like living and tell my family to become a Christian and believe. Otherwise, they're going to end up where I am and I don't want that. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, like if they do not hear Moses and the prophets and listen and, and understand then, neither will they be convinced if someone should even raise from the dead. To many, there's no sign even if Jesus appeared to you right now with his pierced hands and feet himself, even to them, that would not be convincing. Oh, but I need a sign. I need a sign. Show me a sign. You got your signs. Don't wait until it's too late to know the truth. We'll talk about the archaeological evidence, the historical 
evidence, the cultural evidence, coming up next. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey, Sunny Crusaders, I'm so excited for our next guest, Titus Kennedy. He's a professional field archaeologist, adjunct professor at Biola University outside of L.A., research fellow at the wonderful Discovery Institute. He has two books, Unearthing the Bible, 101 Archaeological Discoveries That Bring the Bible to Life. And then his newest is Excavating the Evidence for Jesus, the Archaeology and History of Christ and the Gospels. Awesome. So important. Titus, how are you, brother? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. So glad you're here. Prove it, man. Prove it. Jesus rose from the dead. That's a ridiculous thing. I've never seen it happen. It's impossible. Our entire the Christian faith hinges on it. Prove it. All right. So it is something that's never happened before or never happened since. It's a medical anomaly in the words of some skeptics who are searching for an alternative explanation. But if we're going to talk about what is the historical and archaeological evidence for the resurrection or that connects to the resurrection, then I think we really have to start with the ancient sources, which is including the Gospels and the New Testament. Now, many people want to exclude those, but of course they have to be mentioned since that's our primary source. We have the four Gospels, which all talk about the resurrection of Jesus. These are written by four people who were eyewitnesses or using eyewitness testimony. So people who supposedly saw everything that happened, they are recounting their version, their story of it. And then we have other authors in the epistles who discuss the resurrection of Jesus as well. But of course, many people, skeptics of course, are going to exclude the Gospels and the New Testament epistles as evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So we've got to look outside of that and ask the question, do we have evidence not in the New Testament, outside of the biblical sources, that talks about the resurrection of Jesus? And the answer is yes, we do. So then what are those things? Well, first of all, we have some Roman historians and we have some philosophers from the first and second centuries that do mention the resurrection of Jesus. The most well-known is probably Josephus, and there's a, a famous passage which has been disputed in terms of the exact wording, but there's a more recent ancient Arabic version 
that sounds a lot more plausible, a lot more like Josephus would have written. And in this, Josephus says that it was reported that Jesus appeared three days later to his disciples. So he's not saying that he saw it. He's not saying, oh, I definitely believe this. But he is saying that it was reported that he appeared to his disciples. So he's kind of giving us a, a neutral perspective, if you will. And Josephus was writing that around 93 AD. So he comes a little bit after the time of Jesus, but in the same century. Then we have the Roman historian Tacitus, who is writing about 116 AD. And he refers to the resurrection of Jesus and the stories about this as a mischievous story or a mischievous uh, superstition. So he knows about it yet again. He knows that it's spread around the empire. And yet he's not saying that he believes it. He's still a Roman polytheist, but he is aware of these stories. We could also look at uh, something like the Nazareth inscription, which I think is very important in this discussion. So this is a stone inscription in Greek. Uh, it's sometimes called a, a rescript, like a letter of the emperor that was written to a specific place or province in the empire, and it gave a new order, a new law. So this Nazareth inscription, it turned up in Nazareth, thus the name, surprise. And on it, it talks about a new penalty for a specific type of crime dealing with a tomb. And this new penalty is death, so it's very extreme. The Romans obviously wanted to put a stop to something by enacting this new death penalty. And in the edict, they describe a very specific circumstance and a very specific type of tomb connected to that. And they talk about a rock-cut tomb that is sealed by a stone, and then they say that if anybody moves a body out of that with wicked intent, then they could face the death penalty. Well, that sounds a whole lot like the story that was circulated by the Roman soldiers. If you if you read Matthew chapter 28, it says that the Roman soldiers were supposed to tell people that the, the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus. And that was the explanation for the resurrection. And so this gets circulated and it, it reaches the ears of the emperor Probably Emperor Claudius was the one who issued this edict, uh, maybe around 41 AD. So we're talking about eight years after the resurrection of Jesus in 33 AD. And he wants to put a stop to this rumor, uh, this, this mischievous rumor or superstition, as Tacitus calls it, and make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. And so we have this death penalty, extreme, extreme circumstance here. And yet, why does this thing pop up in Nazareth? If that is where it was excavated or, or looted in this case, it would make a lot of sense because the early Christians were called Nazarenes. They were associated with that place because Jesus of Nazareth. So that really would be, I think, our main archeological and historical evidence. Uh, we have other Roman sources that discuss things telling us how much of an impact Christianity and the story of the resurrection had on the empire. Uh, things like Claudius expelling the Jews from Rome in about 49 AD because of uh, disturbances over Christ. So it seems like within the, the community of Jews there, 
some people were believing in Jesus as the Messiah and his resurrection and others were not. They got into some fights and Claudius was having none of it. Uh, we could look at things like Pliny, who is investigating the Christians later on and, and looking at their beliefs. So we have a lot of things that, that allude to this and connect to it. And, really and then we have the testimony of the apostles and early church history and how all these eyewitnesses died for their belief in the resurrection, which seems very, very strange and illogical if it was some vast conspiracy that all of them would follow this faith to their death. Yeah, because that's the thing. When you go back to your very first point that, oh, these eyewitnesses wrote about it, it's funny how people would dismiss that as, oh, they were biased. Well, they were biased all the way to death, <laughs> right? I mean, like, they kept up this lie all the way to being put to death. Who was put to death for, who was martyred for this? Well, it depends on how you interpret some of the earliest church historical sources, but, you know, some people say, uh, if you're following all the sources we have, that, that all of the apostles actually were martyred. Some say that John was not, and the other 11 were, and then some say that we can, we can know fairly certainly that several of the apostles, the original 12 uh, disciples, or you know, minus Judas, were, yep. were killed for their faith, were martyred. And some of the ones we don't have good enough information about. But we do have things in the writings of Eusebius, for example, that, that talk about other followers of Jesus, not the, the 12, not the apostles, who were also martyred for their faith. So it's, it's really a wide range of people. And, and as you said, it's, it's so strange that they would take this all the way to ending their life if, if they had just created this conspiracy themselves. Um, I got I got so many questions. We only got like two minutes, uh, but I want people to go to go read your books and get all this detail. <clears throat> Why is it important to know this other stuff? I got a couple different questions I want to throw you. Why is it important to know this other archaeological history? Why do you think people find secular sources of greater authority than the scriptural sources? The question right, number I'll, two. I'll, question I'll, <laughs> yeah, do those two, and I got one more follow-up. So the, the secular versus scriptural sources, why people put more weight on that or why non-Christians or uh, skeptical, people skeptical of the Bible do that is, is because they're looking at the Bible as an erroneous religious text that contains fairy tales or mythology and therefore they're automatically disqualifying it as a valid historical source. And, and so sometimes we have to play that game, so to speak, and we have to go and look at just the other sources and say, these are evidence that the biblical text is correct. We're not even going to use the biblical text as the evidence in this argument. Now, yeah. why? so why are these other sources uh, so important? Or why should people look at those? And that is the reason why that people are, are asking for other arguments, other evidence. And, and we should be able to corroborate things that are in the New Testament. Uh, if they all happen, then we shouldn't have a conflict with the historical sources. So knowing what the, the Romans and other first century historians and second century philosophers said about Jesus is important. If there's archeological evidence or inscriptions that connect to that, uh, we should know so that we can see 
what is the other evidence that connects to the resurrection story? And the timelines all work out, right? We're just, a church we're going through, I think we just read Luke 2, and it's all about, you know, uh, the, the emperor called for this, and the census, and the that, and the other, and the this, and the, all the timelines of everything always match up. The locations all match up. All that pinpoints out perfect, uh, which is, I think, a good evidence of, of truth as well. And my last question for you, and I hope we can do it again, Titus. Um, I hear a lot of people slash me 10 years ago would have looked at other ancient texts like Gilgamesh or other flood stories around the world and said, oh, this means the Bible is just another story. It's just another made up of the ancient stories. Uh, it's not the true one. It's one of many. It happens to be the one that we still have today. What do you say to that? I say that in, in some of those cases, there may be a common historical memory that people are writing down some components of, and then they are infusing their personal theology or their uh, regional theology into that, such as some of the flood stories, where you see th these gods in this person's versions, and you see these gods in this other person's versions, but they have some historical core that is all similar. Which is what happened. Uh, I want to encourage everyone to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Titus Kennedy, Excavating the Evidence for Jesus is the new one. And just a couple years ago, Unearthing the Bible, 101 Archaeological Discoveries that Bring the Bible to Life. Titus, appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And appreciate your research. Coming up next, uh, we'll talk about the, the so what. So what happened? Great. So what? What does that mean for me today? It's coming up next. Hey, Slater Crusaders, welcome back to our special. So the last segment, we talked about the history, the archaeological proof of the resurrection, all the rest. I want to talk about the, the so what, the who cares, the why does it matter, with a good friend and one of my favorite people, Eric Taunus, Dr. Eric Taunus. He's a professor and uh, chair of theology at wonderful Biola University, which I'm glad exists as my kids are, uh, I guess, 14 years away from college now. Maybe you'll still be there, doctor. How are you, sir? Doing well, Mike. Good to see you. I'm grateful you're here. What is your Easter message this year? What do we need to know? Well, I love that you started by talking about the fact that it's true because we can become pretty obsessed with our experience, our inclinations, but it's really important to base our lives on what's objectively true, not necessarily what we're experiencing at the moment. And the resurrection is true. But I also want to make sure people know it's meaningful more and more people will maybe recognize that something's true, but they'll, just like you said, say, well, so what? What does it have to do with me? And people will even say to me, you know what? I'm happy for you. You found what you need in Christianity and Jesus, but you know, it's not for me, but I'm happy for you. And I will frequently say, please, if I'm believing something that isn't true, don't be happy for me. Try to convince me of what is actually true because I'm betting the ranch on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he didn't, like Paul says in the Bible, we're to be most pitied. Don't be happy mm. for me, pitying me if I'm basing my whole life on something. Oh, that's so brilliant. Uh, doctor, what what part of the narrative of this, this story uh, stands out to you most this year? Because as we know, the more you read the scriptures, the more things stand out to you differently, different years, different seasons of life, et cetera, et cetera. What stands out to you this year? Well, after 
all of the difficult things we've been going through, not just in this country, but in the world, whether it's COVID lockdowns and isolation or the war raging in Ukraine or all the strife we see in so many ways in our society, I think we desperately need hope and we realize that. And I want an answer to death most of all. And that's what the resurrection provides. It's easy to act like we're not gonna die and try to find reasons to keep going. But the resurrection gives us ultimate answers to what we're gonna do about death. And I want an answer to that most of all. And, and that's what Jesus provides, his death for our sins and his resurrection is the vindication of everything he was and did and what we desperately need him to be for us. And so it's a source of hope like nothing else I've ever seen. So how can I now live my life differently because of this thing that happened? Well, it, the amazing thing is we are completely identified with Jesus by saving faith in him, which means we're identified with his death, but we're also identified with his resurrection. And so the Bible says we're able to walk in newness of life, no longer in slavery to sin, but now able to walk in the life that Jesus provides. We're identified with him in his death, but also in his resurrection. And so he provides the life we desperately need, eternal life for forever, but also abundant life now. It kind of goes back to the, the first thing you said, but uh, so I grew up a Christer. We'd go to church twice a year, <laughs> Christmas and Easter. I don't really know right. why, now that, I, now that I look back on it, like, I don't, like, why, why do we do that? But um, a lot of people do, like, every church, like, triples in attendance on Easter. So, like, there's a lot of that. What is yeah. that? Who, like, who are those people? And then, I don't want to say, like, what's your message to them? But, like, how do you speak to that group and be like, hey, it's more important than just, you know, twice a year? Yeah, it is amazing how church attendance tends to excel around those kinds of holidays. And I think it's because God made us to worship. God created us in his image for himself. And it's been said that a religious impulse is something that is an incurable issue among humans. And so, yeah, we have a worship instinct and to just sit at home doing the same thing we always do when these significant events in human history are being acknowledged like the resurrection, like the incarnation of Christ at Christmas. It, we, we just don't feel like it's right to sit home and just mow the lawn again. And so, so even if we don't really believe or base our lives in these things, we will feel like we're settling for something so meaningless if we don't just get up at least a couple times a year and go. But I, I think it's important to follow that impulse and realize we are created to worship. And everybody worships something. Everybody gives themselves to something. It's not just religious people. And so the question is, is what I'm worshiping worth my life? Is it really worthy of my ultimate devotion? What do you know uh, about, what do we know? What do you think happened during the 40 days that Jesus was you know, resurrected before he went up to heaven? What, what, what happened in that time period? Well, he gave abundant witnesses for his resurrection that there's no doubt historically, as has been said, that this happened. And so then we need to ask, okay, so it happened historically. What does it mean? 
And it means that we have life in Christ. We have a solution to life's greatest problems, which is our sin problem with God. And our lives are now flooded with meaning. And I, I remember hearing one pastor say a long time ago, okay, if you don't believe the resurrection happened, don't you at least wish it were true? Because if it's true, it's the answers we all desperately need and long for. And so at least be inclined to want it to be true enough to consider the reality of the resurrection and the meaning it could have in your life. Interesting. I, okay, so I'm going back to skeptic Mike, right? 10 years ago, Mike. I'd say, no, I don't want to believe in fairy tales. I don't want to believe in things that are impossible. It's impossible to rise from the dead, Eric. Ridiculous. Uh, so no, I will not be a slave to your silliness. Right. Well, I would really want someone to challenge their worldview that at the onset rules out miracles. That's not coming from some sort of scientific evidence that you come to that conclusion based on. That's just a presupposition. You come to something miraculous like the resurrection with to to just start with an anti-supernatural worldview or this assumption that God never gets involved in human history in powerful and dramatic ways as the creator to solve our great problems. I, I want people to realize, okay, you, you, that belief is certainly something you're entitled to, but please realize it's a presupposition you come to this discussion with. It's not something that you have come to based on the very method of arriving at truth you're advocating in that. And so it's not some scientific hypothesis that you prove that miraculous things are impossible, but a presupposition you come with. And so you start with a worldview and aren't willing to have it challenged by something like the historical reality of the resurrection. Very good. Uh, my last question for you, and we're going to talk a little more about this coming up next. I want to get your take first. The thing that stands out <clears throat> to me this year, for whatever reason, is how the disciples weren't ready for it or like, di like didn't think it was going to happen. They weren't like waiting outside his tomb. Like, all right, three days has passed. Like Jesus told them three days, <laughs> I'll rise yeah. from the dead. And they were like, like, I don't know, they like forget or something. And like Mary going to the tomb to like anoint him thinking he was, you know, the gardener. Like, like why didn't they expect it? And of course, we talked about doubting Thomas in the first segment, which is what you and I would have done. I think I would have done. Certainly, I, won't, I don't believe this till I can feel it. But why did these, why did the disciples not know this was happening when they've been told it was going to happen? Yeah, it, it, I take great comfort when I read the story of the disciples because they were some struggling people and it took them a long time and a lot of situations for them to be able to understand all the meaning behind what Jesus said. And and so it was it was like this this fluorescent light bulb starting to flicker and go on for them. And even though he told them they would resist it. They would have a struggle believing it and understanding the meaning of it, of it over time. And so, so they were in process and they were learning to understand what Jesus really meant, that he really meant he was going to rise from the dead. It's amazing how often they would miss the point when he was talking. And at times, demons knew more about Jesus than the disciples did because they were slow to understand and slow to believe. And Jesus would even say that. His, one of his favorite titles for his dear friends and disciples was you of little faith. And so yeah. they were struggling to understand this. And I'm still struggling to really understand and apply the meaning and the reality of the resurrection to my life on a daily basis. That's why Jesus calls us to daily discipleship and not just a one-time thing. 
Ah, so grateful for you, Professor. Uh, everyone, send your kids to Biola. It's in uh, L.A., <laughs> unfortunately, but it's a little like outside of L.A. enough where you can like still separate yourself and all the rest. But it's Biola, and I, and I hope you can uh, take uh, the professor's class or your kids can. Uh, professor, it's, a, it's an honor, a pleasure, uh, and, and happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you, Mike. Thanks, brother. I hope we can do it again. We'll wrap up coming up next. Spread the word. Hey, Cider Crusaders, welcome back to our special about Easter. Just want to take a minute here to talk about the old pagan origins of Easter, because atheists like to say, uh, you know, Christianity is no different than any other cult. And we just stole everything from the pagans before us, like the Christmas tree and St. Nick and all the rest. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. So people say Eastern comes from the Anglo-Saxon goddess Eostre, which comes from the Babylonian goddess Astarte, which is the goddess of spring. Uh, nah, not really. I would argue it comes from the German word Ost, which means east. The sun rises in the east. Easter or Esther is the German word meaning first. And then Stefan means to stand. So there's a connection of standing and rising again, hence resurrection. It's from the German word meaning resurrection is the point. Um, it does, Easter doesn't come from the goddess of spring. It comes from the German word resurrection. We've got to put the Christ back in Christmas and the resurrection back in Easter. Uh, so whatever, we can argue about the word Easter. But what about the eggs and the rabbit? What's the Christian root of that? Nothing. That's just pagan nonsense. You just... You can do it or not do it. I'd probably recommend you don't, but whatever. The eggs come from the, uh, like the, it's like a symbol for fertility, right? And the eggs also a symbol of the sun because of the yolk. And then rabbits are a symbol of procreation because like rabbits don't even lay eggs. So what are we doing? But like you have the egg is fertility and then you have rabbits are procreation because rabbits multiply quickly. So we have, all right, so you got that. And then we got the like, uh, actually the symbol of rabbits goes back to um, Egypt as a symbol of, uh, spring and birth and blah, blah, blah. It's all very silly, right? Uh, what we're talking about <laughs> is a man who said he was God, rising from the dead or not. That's what matters. Easter, uh, the bunny, Cadbury eggs, pastel shirts, whatever. Did this man rise from the dead or not? And in those 40 days before he rose to heaven, he was seen by over 500 people. You either believe that or you don't. And I can't force you to believe it. I can show you all the archaeological evidence we have, and you believe it or you don't. Certainly I can't have you, force you to prove in the few minutes we have together. We spent some time proving the resurrection the best we could, right? But the real question is not proving the resurrection. It is, the real question is, what does the resurrection prove? Are you with me on that? It's not about proving the resurrection, although yes, but we now have to talk about what does the resurrection prove? Two things. First, Jesus conquered death. It would be a real bummer if Jesus died and death won. But death didn't win. And uh, the pastor or professor uh, talked about this in the last segment. Everyone's so terrified of dying. Right? It's everyone's greatest fear. It's the root of so many sins in our world, including our reaction to COVID, of course. And there's so much fear and anxiety while we're here. And I, it, the root of it, surely, is because people have no concept of eternity and eternal life. If people did, then they wouldn't cling so desperately to the time here. And then second, again, uh, if Jesus rose from the dead, then the rest of everything in the Bible is true. The rest of it is true. If you believe the craziest thing in there, 
right? The rising from the dead, then the rest of it's true. And the rest of it's like nothing compared to that, right? And then you can take confidence and find peace that all the answers are in here. It's all right here. Everything, right? If you can believe the craziest thing in here, then the rest is obviously true. Um, the more I study the scriptures, the more I'm convinced that this is not the handiwork of people. It's just not. Because no person or group of people could, first of all, come up with a consistent storyline by 40 authors and 66 books over thousands of years without a single contradiction and a perfectly coherent theme throughout. Like, no human... Like, the impossible... Like, if it was written by one guy, you couldn't even have it be consistent. You know what I mean? But, like, 40 authors over thousands of years at different places. Like, how could it all be consistent? It's impossible. No human hand could have written that. But also, my second point of this, no one could have even come up with this story. No one wanting to start a religion would have made the main people in it such fools. Right? We were talking about with the professor in the last segment. Like, the disciples, you should take great comfort that the disciples were as foolish as you and I are. Right? But if the disciples wrote it, they'd be like, well, we're awesome. Of course we believe. We believe everything. We're great. We're brilliant. Blah, blah, blah. But they were, they were dopes the whole time. Right? No one writing this back then would have made, made so many of the main characters women. In the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, it starts off with genealogy, Matthew includes five women. That alone is unusual. But when you study the five women, they're prostitutes and adulterers and idol worshipers. And then Mary, she's the fifth, right? Who's a 14-year-old woman, 14-year-old girl, right? No one wanting to start a religion would have done that. No one would have come up with a story of the Savior helping women, talking to women, riding a donkey, born in a feeding trough, in a stable, angels announcing the Messiah to shepherds, the lowliest people in society, be like, like announcing to like janitors or something like that. Right? No one would have written that. And the Messiah dying such a disgraceful death, no one would have written about his followers betraying Jesus. Right? That one, that one, he would have been put in there. And then, as we talked about earlier, too, his, his like main guys, main disciples, forgetting the thing that Jesus said, Mark 9 30, uh, the Son of Man is me, Jesus is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And then he will be killed. And when he will be killed, uh, after three days, he will rise. He told that to the disciples. And none of the disciples, after Jesus died, were like, hey, don't worry about it. He said he's going to die and then rise three days later. So it's fine. It's all good. Let's just go hang out for a couple days. And then we'll meet outside the tomb. And we'll have a little party. And then he'll rise. And we're like, oh, yeah, we knew it. We knew it all the time. No, they didn't do that. They weren't waiting. No one would have written that. No one would have written it. They were shocked when he rose. The two Marys that went to go see Jesus in the tomb in Matthew 28, um, they brought uh, oil and spices and oil. And they were going to anoint him. And as they were walking to the tomb, one of the Marys said, who's going to roll away the stone for us so we can get to Jesus and anoint him? Who's going who's gonna to roll away the tomb? They thought he'd still be dead. The, the Marys, like, like the most loyal followers of Jesus thought he was dead on the third day. And they went to go uh, anoint his body 
and it didn't even think to them, oh, yeah, remember when he said he's going to rise? And like, maybe he's not there. No, they knew he was going to be dead. They watched him die. They watched him say it was finished. They watched him be wrapped by Joseph and buried in the tomb. And then days went by. And they went to anoint the body and their only concern was, how are we going to get in? And they got there and the stone was rolled away already. And just quick note here, Jesus did not roll the stone away in the front of the tomb so that he could get out. Often you see like a painting with the stone rolled away and then Jesus like standing there as if he's the one who moved it. No, no, the angel rolled the stone away so that eyewitnesses could get in. See the difference there? So listen, you can um, believe whatever you want. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can cling to whatever you want in this life, whatever idol you come up with, and uh, if you're lucky, you'll end up as happy as Will Smith. Seriously, go, like, go do it. Go follow him. Follow you, follow your desires, your urges, follow whatever famous celebrity or athlete or whatever you want to follow and see how it goes. See where it leads you. Or you can study the life of someone who died and rose from the dead and then decide if you want to follow him or in the words of the Bible, make him Lord of your life. Make a choice. That's it. And I know this is not welcome today. It's not, you're supposed to be all like, ooh, coexist, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't want to be mean. Oh, don't say anything. Oh, you're going to do, don't want to be uh, exclusive or don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Got to be nice. Who are you to say what's true? It's good for you, not for me. But all that nonsense, right? No. Uh, you can either choose forgiveness, blessedness, joy, fulfillment, and heaven for all of eternity or damnation, punishment, and hell forever out of his presence. Says who, Slater? Says your silly little book. Fine. Play that game all day long. Play the says who game all day long. I just don't want you like that rich man pleading for Lazarus for please just one more chance. It's all right here. Have a happy Easter. Thanks, Slater. Spread the word. <laughs>